this evening. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 8, 13, 14, and 15. The Bible says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, uh, and for a rock of offense to both the house of Israel, for a gin and for a snare, uh, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. The title of the Bible study tonight is a question. Here it is. Is God your sanctuary or stumbling block? Is God your sanctuary or stumbling block? God does not change. But I've met lots of people who were very offended at the thought of the God of the Bible. Uh, boy, you get to talking to them about that, and it is clear that God is a stumbling block in their life. And then I meet other people who worship God and love God, and uh, they credit God for everything good in their life. Now, it's the same God to both people, but to one person, He is a sanctuary, and to the other person, He is a stumbling block. And that proposition, that concept is laid out here in Isaiah chapter 8, and so we'll be looking at that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we seek to understand the Bible and study it on a little bit deeper level where we dive deep below the surface of, of the reading there. And Lord, help us all to not only glean knowledge, uh, but Lord, also to be challenged to go forth and put your word into practice in our daily life. Lord, may we all leave here tonight determined to make you our sanctuary, Lord, where we worship you regularly. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, last week we uh, handed out some um, timelines and showed you the various kings uh, and prophets and how all of that worked. And we, uh, we, we, we saw that in Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz is king of Judah, the two southern tribes. And you have ten northern tribes above that of Israel at this point. They're two separate countries. And a man by the name of Pekah, Pekah he is the king of the northern tribes. Well, Pekah and Rezin, Rezin is the king of Syria. Pekah and Rezin have gotten together to form an alliance, a confederacy, if you will, and they are going to try to invade Judah. They're going to try to take over the southern tribes, uh, that, that sovereign nation of Judah, by conquering Jerusalem. And Ahaz is a godless man. The Bible tells us in Kings and in Chronicles that he did not that which was right in the sight of of the Lord, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and so he was not a king that followed God, and so Ahaz naturally was afraid of this confederacy that had uh, uh, that had gotten together, and they were they were looming, they were coming down, and so God sends Isaiah to meet with Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool, right there uh, on the highway of the Fuller's Field. You see that in Isaiah seven three, and he's to tell him. Don't fear Syria and Israel. Don't fear them. In fact, within 65 years, both of those countries will be wiped out. And they're not going to, to overtake you. Trust God. Ask God for a sign. Well, the Bible tells us in, in 2 Chronicles 28, we'll look at that here this evening, that uh, secretly Ahaz had been reaching out to Tilgath Pilsner. Now, Tilgath Pilsner was the king of Assyria, a different country than Syria, Assyria, and he's trying to form his own alliance to help protect against 
Damascus or Syria and Israel. So you've got um, uh, Ahaz not trusting God. He's leaning on other uh, help. And uh, God sends Isaiah down there to say, trust the Lord. He's all you need. And Ahaz acts pious. And he says, I will not tempt the Lord by asking for a sign, even though he's told to ask for one. And so Isaiah turns and he gives the sign to the entire country of Judah, the house of David. He says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And that was a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem many years later, and that virgin Mary giving birth to Emmanuel, God with us, the name means. And so uh, that brings us to where we are tonight in Isaiah chapter number 8. Let's jump in tonight and look at, let's see, I think it's four thoughts. Yes, four thoughts this evening out of Isaiah 8. Notice number one, God's promise of protection. God's promise of protection. So God is still trying to convince Ahaz in the beginning of chapter 8 that everything is going to be Okay, and he does not need to fear Syria and Israel. He does not need to fear King Rezin and King Pekah. God is in control. He's got it all figured out. Just trust the Lord. And um, so he's still trying to convince him, and he moves on to some creative creative methods to convince him. Notice letter A, Judah's salvation. Judah's salvation. (coughs) Look with me at verse number 1 of chapter 8. The Bible says, Moreover the Lord said unto me, this is Isaiah, take thee a great roll and write it write in it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalahashbaz. Now, that's a name, Maher Shalahashbaz. Um, a lot of people name their children biblical names. I've yet, Brother Greer, to meet anyone named Maher Shalahashbaz. What was his nickname? Was it, was it her? Was it Shali? Was it Hashbaz? Uh, what, what did they... What do they call Maher Shalahashbaz? Um, I don't care what culture or what language, that is an odd name. I'm sure even in Bible times, that was an odd name. But he says here, take a pen uh, concerning Maher Shalahashbaz. Look at verse 2. And I took unto me a faithful witness to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of uh, Jeberechia. And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name Maher Shalahashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of, of Samaria, shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now, if I, you're reading Isaiah 8 in your personal devotions, you're probably going to read the, these verses and scratch your head and say, I have no idea what that means. And then move on and look for something in the chapter that you can get from. But let's dive below the surface here in these first four verses. And let's see how that within that time and that culture and in that language, God was offering a promise of salvation to Judah. That in this attack of resin from Syria and Pekah from Israel and their confederacy, how that God was going to protect. Okay, so let's begin. Well, actually, let's do this first. Look down at verse number 18. We'll come back to verse number 4, 1 through 4 in just a moment. Look at verse number 18 of chapter 8. The Bible says, Behold, Isaiah speaking here, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. So 
we know that the, the Isaiah and the children God would give him were meant to be signs and wonders unto the nation of Judah and Israel. So what did these names mean? Well, back in chapter 7, we find the name of Isaiah's first son, and his name was Sheer Jashub. Sheer Jashub, and his name meant a remnant shall return. When Ahaz was all nervous and afraid about this incoming attack, assault on his country, God said to Isaiah, take Sheer Jashub with you and go meet Ahab and introduce him to, or rather Ahaz, introduce him to Ahaz and tell him why you're there and that God will keep them safe. Well, the name Sheer Jashub means a remnant shall return. What is that? That is a promise of hope that no matter how bad it gets, a remnant shall return. And then God tells him in Isaiah chapter 8, look back at verse number uh, number 3 there. The Bible says, Isaiah 8, 3, And I went unto the prophetess, this would have been his wife, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name, Maher Shalahashbaz. Well, the name Maher Shalahashbaz means this, In making speed to the spoil... He hasteneth the prey. And making speed to the spoil, he hasteneth the prey. And what that means is that these enemies that are making speed to take an advantage over you, what's really happening is they're going to become prey to God. He's going to get them. You are protected by God. And so verse 1 tells us that this was to be written on a scroll uh, with a man's pen. What does that mean? That means that this was to be written out on like a poster style and just splattered, uh, just put all over town for the king to see, may her shall a hashbaz. May her shall a hashbaz. God's prophet is declaring protection from Jehovah over Judah. Not because of you, Ahaz, you're a wicked king, but because God is good and he's promised Protection, And so Isaiah was to write this name, Maher Shalahashbaz, and put that up. And then he's, his wife gets pregnant, and God says, before this uh, child's even born, God says, name him Maher Shalahashbaz. So Isaiah recruited two men to help him write out uh, this message and get these posters prepared. And so verse 2, look at verse 2. The Bible says, And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record. Here are the names Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeber Etchiah. Now these three names are significant as well. Uriah means, uh, uh, rather I, I, I'm missing one here. Let me give you the name of Isaiah. Isaiah's name means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. So when you put those three names together... Again, that's dad on the bottom, Isaiah, and his two boys, Sheer, Jashub, and Maher, Shalahashbaz. Uh, what do you get? You get that God is a good God that's going to protect. He's going to provide. And even in his judgment one day, he's going to show enough grace to allow a remnant to return. Can you imagine going over and having dinner at Isaiah's house? Hi, my name is Isaiah, and this is my son. A remnant shall return, and this is my son. In making speed to the spoil, he hasteneth to the prey. You sit there and say, this is an odd family. Uh, but uh, to them at that time in Israel, they needed this comfort because they were a people under duress. They were a people living under fear of an incoming assault from this confederacy, this alliance that had joined against them. So these three men in Isaiah uh, uh, chapter 8, verse number 2, Uriah was the priest. His name means Jehovah is my light. 
Jehovah is my light. And then Zechariah, he also helped uh, write out these posters. His name means Jehovah remembers. And then Jehovah, or Zechariah's father, uh, Jeberechiah, his name means Jehovah will bless. Jehovah will bless. Jehovah is my light. Now put those three concepts together. Jehovah is my light. Jehovah remembers. Jehovah will bless. Uh, there's a great message in there, is there not, for us tonight? Uh, you might be walking through a time of darkness or fear the way that um, uh, uh, Uzziah was during this time, or rather Ahaz was during this time. King Ahaz was afraid. And listen, any time in the Old Testament where you find a king fearful, you find people who are fearful. Remember Saul uh, there uh, fighting Goliath, and he was afraid, and his people were afraid. Remember Saul there in the valley under the pomegranate tree, fearful, and his men were scattered in the caves, and many of them quit right before Jonathan and his armor bearer went up the mount there and wrought a great victory unto Israel. And when you find a leader that is strong and courageous like David or Solomon, you find people that are strong and courageous. And here you have Ahaz. He is afraid. There is a spirit of fear that's worked its way through Israel and through Judah. And God is using these men to say, Jehovah is my light. Jehovah remembers and Jehovah will bless. I want to say to you this evening that if God is your heavenly father, uh, he is your light. He remembers who you are and he will bless. Just stay faithful to him. Letter A, Judah's salvation. Now, by the way, look back with me at uh, verse number four. Uh, For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother... The riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king Assyria. Now, there are many critics of the Bible, many people who question the Bible, and they'll say things like, well, it was just written by men, and and how accurate can it be? And how do we know it's God's word given to men? Well, one of the ways that we know is how much prophecy is in the Bible, and all all of the things that were prophesied to come true have come true, and there even have been archaeological digs that prove that the book of Isaiah was written prior to many of the things that happened. And so in the book of Isaiah, these predictions are made, and every single one of them, uh, outside of the second coming of Christ, which is yet to happen, has come true. Now, uh, the, the birth of Isaiah's second son happened in the year 733 B.C., The very next year, Syria would be taken captive. Before this young man, Meher Shalahashbaz, turned 11 years old, Israel would be taken captive. By the way, Israel would be uh, be, uh, invaded prior to their final captivity, and they would have their spoils taken. He's saying here, listen, it is imminent. This These two armies of Syria and Israel that are forming an alliance against you to invade you before your second son even knows how to utter the words, my father and my mother, before your child uh, is even able to say that, Isaiah, Syria and Israel will have been invaded and their spoil taken. And lo and behold, the next year, Syria is invaded. And then within 12 years, Israel and Syria are both completely gone off of the world map. Judah's salvation, God's promise of protection, let her be noticed, Judah's stubbornness. Judah's stubbornness. Now look down at verse number 5 and verse number 6. The Bible says, The Lord spake 
uh, unto me again, saying, For as much as this people refuseth the waters of Shiloh that go softly and rejoice in reason, that's the king of Syria, and Remaliah's son. Remaliah's son is Pekah. He's the king of the ten northern tribes of Israel. So they rejoice in the king of Syria and the king of Israel. Who is this? These are those in Judah. They are rejoicing in, they are worshiping, honoring, bowing down to, if you will, Syria and Israel. So Shiloh. Look back there. It says that they refuseth the waters of Shiloh. Now the waters of Shiloh, due to uh, the way streams are, are altered and things are moved around, the waters of Shiloh, to my knowledge and my studies, have been completely removed. You can't find them anymore. But back in Isaiah's day, Shiloh was a prominent place where you could go and get water. And the name Shiloh, the word Shiloh means sent. It means sent. Now, the waters of Shiloh flowed between Mount Zion and Mount Moriah. Mount Zion and Mount Moriah. It was on Moriah where Abraham offered his son or attempted to offer his son where David bought the threshing floor of, uh, uh, let's see, Aruna. Uh, you remember the story there where he had sinned against God in numbering the people and he wanted to make it right. And so he went and he paid full price for a threshing floor and he set up an altar and made sacrifices and the man he bought it from tried to give it to him. And he said, no, my sin has a price and I will pay that price. And so this was the, the place, Mount Moriah was the place where Abraham offered his son, where David bought the threshing floor, and where Solomon would end up putting his temple. And down at the end of that great shaft of rocks is where we find Golgotha, where Christ would be crucified. Now, Shiloh originated in the place where the law of God had been given, and ran to the place where Christ would be crucified. It ran from law to grace. From law to grace. And here these, and by the water, by the way, these waters are very calm and very peaceful. And here these folks are rejecting, refusing the waters of Shiloh while they're all excited, we'll see in a moment in verse 8, over the waters of the river Euphrates, which ran through Assyria. Shiloh represented God's grace, but wicked King Ahaz would reject God's hand. We see letter A, Judah's salvation. Letter B, Judah's stubbornness. Letter C, notice Judah salvaged. Judah salvaged. Uh, look at verses 7 and 8 there with me. The Bible says, Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of of the river. Now these waters are symbolic. The waters of Shiloh represent God's grace. The waters and in, 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 in a reliance on God. Uh, the waters of the, of the river, strong and mighty, even the king of Assyria, represent the Assyrian people and the Euphrates River. And all his glory, verse 7 says, and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And look over here, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of his wings, and shall fill the breath of thy land, O Emmanuel. What's that mean? That means that Assyria would flow into Judah, and would ransack Judah, and would accomplish taking over much of Judah, but Jerusalem 
would be spared. Those waters, Assyria army, would run up to the neck, up, but not overtake the head. And what would happen is that there would be a salvaging of Judah because God would stay off Assyria from trying to uh, overtake them. By the way, by the way, remember now you've got Syria, not Assyria. Syria and Assyria are two different countries. Syria and Israel have formed an alliance to take on Judah. Judah is commanded to not rely on anyone but God, to turn to God, but privately, we're going to turn over to 2 Chronicles in a moment and see, um, Ahaz turns to Tilgath-Pilsner, the king of Assyria, and says, come along my side and help us. And what ends up happening is that which... Um, Judah and the king of Judah relied on to help them would end up being their downfall. Isn't that how it works? When you and I turn to something other than God to deal with our problems, oftentimes that thing we turn to ends up turning around and negatively affecting us, negatively hurting us, uh, causing us to backslide and fall away from God. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter number 28. Now, Chronicles is in the Old Testament, and Corinthians is in the New Testament. So if you're in Isaiah, Chronicles is to the left there. Um, before the book of Psalm, before the book of Job, you get to uh, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and then 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 28, we find the same story being uh, laid out there for us. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 19. The Bible says, 2 Chronicles 28, 19, it says, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. And Tilgath Pilsner, king of Assyria, came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. So he reaches out to Tilgath Pilsner and he says, Help me against Syria and Israel. And Tilgath Pilsner takes money, but does not help them. 21. For Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that king Ahaz. So what happens here? Tilgath Pilsner says, I'll help you, but it's going to cost. And, he, and, and Ahaz didn't have the money. So he goes into the temple and he takes pottery and he takes silverware and he takes that which has got gold and silver and he turns it into money, the money from the temple, and he gives it to Tilgath Pilsner for his help. And Tilgath Pilsner does not come in and help. In fact, Tilgath Pilsner ends up creating a problem where he uh, raids and takes advantage of. In fact, uh, Hezekiah would become the king uh, after Ahaz. This would be uh, Ahaz's son. Hezekiah would be a good king. Look at chapter 29 and look at verse number 9. And look at the declaration here of the state they are in. He says, For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives, look at the present tense here, are in captivity for this. Are in captivity for this. Now, Judah, rather, Jerusalem had not fallen. 
Because they still have their monarch set up. They still have their kingly throne set up. Jerusalem was still intact, but the outlying regions had been invaded by Assyria and their people had been taken away. Here, they had tried to create an alliance with Assyria and the Assyrians not only wiped out Syria, the Assyrians not only wiped out um, Israel, the Assyrians also invaded and took captive many of the residents of Judah because uh, rather because Ahaz would not trust the Lord. So uh, let's see here. We see number one, uh, God's promise of protection. Number two, notice Isaiah's pronouncement against the pact. Isaiah's pronouncement against the pact. Look back in Isaiah chapter 8 and uh, look at verse number 9. Look here. This is speaking of Syria and Israel. It says, Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say, A confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Quickly here, notice letter A, the, con- the confederacy formed. The confederacy formed. Look down at verse number 12. Again, it says, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom the people shall say, A confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. That confederacy, as we've laid out last week and this week, is Syria, uh, Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, king of Israel. They have ganged up on Judah, and they are trying to take out Judah. Just a quick point of application here. There are three enemies that the Christian faces daily. You all know what they are, right? The world, the flesh. What's the third one? What's the third one? The devil. You guys know what they are? Are you awake, for, are you awake this evening? Here we go. Let's try that again. The, say them with me here. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You know what? Any one of those on any given day is a formidable foe, is it not? My flesh bows up on me and uh, tempts me to do wrong. And uh, it's, sometimes it's all I can do to just win the battle against my flesh. The other night I was working in my workshop and I was trying to get uh, a tool loosened up and, and going in the right direction. And um, I had been awake many hours and it was the end of the day and I was very tired. And I probably should have stopped a lot earlier. And you know what? I could not get the tool to do what I wanted and my flesh started to bow up. And I started to feel angry on the inside. And you know what I should have done is I should have walked away. And I thought, I'm going to get this. And I'm thinking to myself, lefty, loosey, righty, tidy. But no matter how hard I tried, I just could not get it. I don't know if it was, you know, reverse threaded, what it was. Um, I could not get that thing loose. Brother Greer, you may have to come over and help me. get. I still haven't gotten it loose. Uh, but, um, uh, and so I finally just lost my cool and uh, stormed upstairs and took a shower and and went to bed. I was battling the flesh. And you know what? Sometimes the world, the world is enough uh, to get you. You ever been watching something innocent in a movie or TV and some joke popped in and it was off color and didn't please the Lord, but it was said so quick and it was so funny that you laughed? 
and the world got you. You ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? You ever been at work and someone says something that's off color or inappropriate and it makes you laugh and you chuckle and you think, ah, I probably shouldn't have laughed at that. And you know what? The world is constantly at us with covetousness and shoving materialism down our throat and, 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 and pushing fear on us all the time. And you, you got the news on, it doesn't matter what channel it is. And you know what the news is? It's selling you fear and more fear and more fear. And uh, you got the world that you're constantly having to battle. And then by about the time you start to get those two beat, Satan and his minions come along and they're, he's firing, Ephesians 6 says, uh, wiles, fiery darts at us. And he's looking for that chink in your armor. That hole in your armor where he can take you out. And you know what? Any one of those on any given day can be tough. But what about when the flesh and the world gang up on you and they attack you together? What about when the world and the devil are both coming at you at the same time? What about when all three gang up on you? The confederacy form. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming. Sometimes it can feel uh, that you just can't handle it. You ever been at work and felt the drama of work of a, of a co-worker who's lying about you behind your back or saying things about you that's not true? Maybe it's even a family uh, a member uh, thing that's going on or friends on Facebook they gang up on you. And the next thing you know, you've got people that are gathering together and talking about you behind your back and you can begin to feel like the walls are closing in around you This is how Ahaz felt the confederacy formed. Notice letter B, they're confounding foretold. They're confounding foretold. Look back at verse number 9. The Bible says, And all the people... uh, No, I'm in the wrong chapter. Verse 9 here. Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Three times. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand. For God is with us. For the Lord spake uh, thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying, what's going on here? Uh, Isaiah is prophesying to Israel and to Syria and any other country that wants to gather themselves together against God's people and form a confederacy against, an alliance against. And he's saying, I promise that if you will stand true to God, these, uh, these alliances may uh, gang up on you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Aren't you glad that no matter how bad it gets, you plus God uh, gives you a sizable advantage over anybody? It can be the whole world against you, but if you've got God on your side, you're in good shape. You remember the story of Elisha? He's in the house with his uh, servant, and uh, his servant wakes up and looks out the window, and this entire army had gathered around and surrounded the city, and Elisha's just leaning up against the counter, and he's eating an apple. I don't know if this is the case, but it's kind of the idea, right? He's just, you know, well, you know, whatever, normal morning. Where's my newspaper? You know, where's my cup of coffee? And uh, kind of yawns, and his servant's like, what's wrong with you? Can't you see them out there? And he says to the Lord, he says, open the eyes of my servant so he can behold. And God opens the eyes of the serpent. And behind the army uh, uh, that was there to attack that city was another army of angels that had surrounded that army. And as that story goes, God strikes that army blind and Elisha takes them and leads them right into the hands of their captors because they're blind. 
Listen, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're up against, no matter how hard it is, no matter who is ganging up on you, there is no weapon that is formed against thee that shall prosper. They're confounding for it. So, letter C, we see Judah's courage is fundamental. Judah's courage, fundamental. Look at verse number 12 again. And here we see really the, uh, the, the thrust at this, say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom the people shall say a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Look at the end of that verse. Very interesting how it's worded. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Why were these enemies ganging up together on, uh, on, on Judah? You know why? Because they were afraid of Judah. They were afraid of Judah. And they were afraid of the God of Judah. And you know what God is telling Ahaz and God is telling the rest of Israel here? He's saying to them, don't be afraid of people who are afraid of you. Uh, you, Many of you here that have either worked with school-aged children or you have school-aged children or maybe even had school-aged children, how many of you have learned in life that oftentimes the kids who feel insecure, oftentimes the kids who feel insecure are the ones who do the most bullying and picking and pushing down. How many of you have learned that in life? Now, not always, but oftentimes that's the case. And you know what? These armies are ganging up on them. Clearly, uh, Israel and clearly Syria have problems. Because in just two short years, Syria is going to be wiped off the map. Financially, they must have been in ruins. There must have been serious problems, uh, cracks that ran down into the foundation of their nation. And so their one last gasp effort coming at Judah, and here, uh, uh, rather, Judah is afraid, and the prophet says, don't be afraid of those that are afraid of you. you. Neither fear ye their Fear. They are attacking you because they are afraid of you. Don't follow their example. What's the prophet saying? He's saying God is enough. Trust Him and don't trust some secular worldly alliance. And so that brings us to point number three. And point number three is the thrust of our message this evening. Look here. God's punishment of His people. God's punishment of His people. Notice letter A. If we sanctify, He is a sanctuary. If we sanctify, he is a sanctuary. Look with me at verse number 13 and 14. The Bible says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Now, before we read 14, well, let's just read the beginning of 14. And he shall be, a, he shall be for a sanctuary. Let's stop the reading there for a moment. This is odd language. How do you sanctify a God who is perfect? You ever thought about that? In fact, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. How do you go about sanctifying a God that's perfect? Now, here is where we're going to get into the thrust of the, the Bible study tonight and really the whole problem that Judah had is that they did not they did not hold God in their hearts for who he truly was. They had a false idea of who God was. And you know what? Oftentimes today, if we're not careful, we'll make the same mistakes. By the way, verse number 13 of that chapter, one more point I want to make before we read this verse. It says, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. You know what that means? That means have a deep, 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 
deep reverence and respect for God and all things that deal with God. Let him be your dread. That doesn't mean you walk around uh, flinching every time, you know, that uh, it thunders outside that he's going to strike you dead. That's not what that means, but that means that you have a very deep reverence for God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and I like the way Peter worded it for the New Testament Christian. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh uh, you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, the second half of 15 is what gets focused on usually, and that's fine. Um, uh, there, there's definitely a lot there to be talked about, but let's just focus on that first part there again. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Can I tell you what the problem for many people uh, today is? And if we're not careful, it can be our problem too on a regular basis. Here's the problem. We have a false idea of who God is in here. He's not holy to us. I think oftentimes people have a version of God that is not accurate with the Bible that they want to hold on to. I flinch any time I hear someone just loosely throw around language that has to deal with God and the Word of God. I flinch when I see people who are careless with the Bible. Uh, this week I was studying for uh, my Bible study tonight, and I have commentaries I use that help me with some of these passages in Isaiah that are a little more obscure and, and hard to understand. And, so I'll have three or four commentaries out on my desk. I still prefer the paper commentaries over the digital ones. I, I guess I'm just old-fashioned like that. Uh, but I keep my Bible right in front of me. And I know this might seem silly and odd, but just indulge me for a minute because I'm going to make a larger point with it. Anytime that I have a, a commentary in my hand, I will not set it down on top of my Bible. I take the time and I move my Bible over to the side and then I put that flat on the desk. And if anything, I'm going to lay this on top of the commentary. You know why? Because this is precious. Men have opinions, and that's fine. Sometimes they help us. But nothing is ever to be matched above this. You take good care of your Bible. You treat it with respect. It's God's Word. I hear people take words like hell and they throw them around so loosely. Do we not understand the gravity of what hell is? You see, if we sanctify the Lord in our hearts and we reverence Him, then we're fearful of Him. We, we dread Him. And if you fear God, you will not fear man. You have a deep, holy understanding of who God is within you that what ends up happening is being in the presence of God is not a stumbling block. It is your sanctuary. Anytime that I begin to feel cross and sideways toward God and I begin to think, you know, He's not treating me fair and circumstances in my life have soured me maybe a little bit toward God, can I tell you what the problem is? The problem is not with God. The problem is with me and my attitude toward who God really is. I need to sanctify God in my heart. And then he'll go back to being my sanctuary. Here Ahaz and Israel are sideways with their God. You know what the command was? 
You need to get back to understanding who God is. You need to sanctify Him in your heart, and you need to let Him be your sanctuary. Letter B, we see, if we subvert, He is a stumbling block. If we subvert or rebel, He is a stumbling block. Look back at Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 14. The Bible says, And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel for a gin, and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Look down at verse number 16. Bind up the testimony, seal ye the law among the disciples, that I will wait unto the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Verse 15, And many among them shall stumble and fall, and be broken, and be snared, and be taken. You know, if when you run from God, and you run from doing what's right, and you want to go live your life however you want to, all of a sudden you've turned God into someone who has no, no choice but to chasten you. And you know what, I love my, my, my dad, I love my mom, but I didn't love when I was in trouble. That wasn't fun, right? How many of you here have teenagers? You ever feel like there's a spirit of animosity between you and your kids? You're constantly in trouble, right? It's like, here we go again. You know what, and to your kids, they don't like you, and at times you might not like them. Because they're in rebellion and you have to chasten them. Now, um, when your children do what's right, all of a sudden, home is a sanctuary. And when they don't, your presence can feel like a stumbling block. It's no different with us and God. I've met people who are sour toward God, bitter toward God. Is God the problem? No. Um, the, the sun that softens the soil is the same Uh, Rather, the sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. The problem isn't the sun. The problem is what the sun is hitting. And my friend, if you have a bitterness toward God, God's not the problem. I assure you that. You need to sanctify Him in your heart. If you continue to rebel, God will feel like nothing more than a stumbling block. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 23. Paul says here to the church of Corinth, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, look here, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and the Greeks, or rather, and, and unto the Greeks foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. Now, how many of you would say here that Christ being crucified for you became a sanctuary. But you know what? To those who don't want to hear it, Christ crucified is a stumbling block. And so we need to make sure our heart is in a good place. Don't let Christ, don't let God be a stumbling block. Sanctify your hearts and let Him be your sanctuary. Number four, lastly, notice Judas' pursuit of psychics. Or you could put in parentheses, the occult. Um, the supernatural, the paranormal, whatever you want to run with there. Look at 19. Let's finish out the chapter here. Before we read, 
quickly here. When people turn away from God and they reject God and they continue to reject God, do you know that there is within the heart of every one of us a hole that can only be filled with that which is spiritual? That's it. And if you're not going to turn to God, at some point you're going to turn to something. And so what happens when we reject God, reject God, reject God, reject God, eventually people turn to the occult. Look at 19. It says, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, shall not a people seek unto their God uh, for the living to the dead? Or choose between the living and the dead. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to his word, it is because there is no light in them, and they shall pass through it, hardly be stead uh, and hungry. And it shall come to pass uh, that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Now, I have a sentence here that is on your outline. I'd like you to fill in the blanks here. It goes like this. Disobedience leads to dimness, darkness, and despair. Disobedience leads to dimness, darkness, and despair. When we run from God and we want to do it our own way and you turn to, the, to death and that's what the occult is. It's death. Let me just say this. The Christian has no place meddling in the occult. Uh, I, I, listen, I've heard people say, oh, I cast out demons, or I know this guy who casts out demons. Can I just say this? Pastor Lejeune doesn't go anywhere near that stuff. I don't go anywhere near that stuff. Um, I, I don't, wouldn't go as far as saying I'm afraid of it, but uh, I think that we need to focus not on death but on life. We need to focus not on... Uh, what Satan and his kingdom's doing, we need to focus on God and his kingdom. And uh, let's focus on doing what's right and living right and pushing that forth. If you pursue a life of disobedience, that leads to dimness, darkness, and despair. Again, those that subvert, God is a stumbling block. But to those that submit, to those that sanctify the Lord in their hearts, God is a sanctuary. And I would just ask you this morning, or this evening rather, which one is God to you? Is he your sanctuary or is he your stumbling block? Honestly, I can look back through my life and I can see times where God's been both. I can think of times in my life where I've been angry and frustrated with God or maybe just living in rebellion to God. But I pray and hope that you, you are with me in saying that at this time in my life, God is my sanctuary. We all could do a little bit better of sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts and making him Holy. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's stand to be dismissed tonight. And I hope the Bible study was a help to you. And uh, you understand Isaiah chapter 8 a little bit better. Any of you expecting families in the church or future expecting families in the church, maybe consider Mayher Shalahashbaz. Amen? Probably not. All right. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. Ask God to bless us as we.